Hello and welcome to the Pick and Roll Podcast. As always, I'm Kevin McLarnan, and alongside me is Bill Golden. Uh, good first week of the playoffs, Bill. Absolutely. Um, some of the stuff I think we kind of saw coming. Some of the stuff's been a little bit surprising. I, I can't wait to talk about a couple of these series. Um, we're only about, I think, three games in of every series so far, so it's hard to tell too much, but some teams have already dug themselves a pretty deep hole. Yeah, and as we're talking right now, um, it's Sunday, or Saturday afternoon, and uh, Toronto and Milwaukee are the, is the only game playing right now. They're tied at 23. Um, but let's get started. We'll start at the top of the East first. Celtics and Bulls. Bulls got out to a 2-0 lead, um, but then Rondo uh, is indefinitely out, and they just lost game three last night. What a totally bizarre series. This happens sometimes, but it's a pretty rare where the away team wins every game in a series uh, through through a three games at least. W- what happens tomorrow at 6.30 remains to be seen, but Rondo's injury has been huge because a lot of people always talk about how good Rondo is in the playoffs, and there was a lot of arguments back and forth about whether you know that Rondo still existed, and it appeared through the first couple of games that Rondo, maybe not the full-blown old Rondo, but a, a version of that guy, still existed and was was really killing it for the Bulls and it's going to be tough for them without him I think they can they can do it they've shown that they can do it they won two road games already but this is a big game four and if I'm Chicago without Rondo I think it's a must win yeah I mean I I think I was just watching the TNT and Charles basically said whoever wins game four is going to win the series which I I kind of agree with that I mean if the Bulls go up 3-1 uh, it's kind of hard seeing them lose three straight uh, with the way they've been playing. Um, but and then again, if Celtics steal another one, they're back on home court, and I can't see them losing two out of three uh, to Chicago with all that momentum. Uh, but yeah, it's really interesting seeing how this team was struggling and that they hit the playoffs and just completely different. What I would say is, I think that if Boston wins game, the reason I say it's a must win for Chicago is if Boston wins. It's probably must win for both, but if Boston wins this game, I'm very confident they'll win this series, regardless of whether Rondo returns. If Chicago loses, it's only 2-2, not 3-1 as it would be for Boston, but the problem is if Rondo doesn't come back and it's 2-2, they're going to have a tough time. They're going to have a tough time. Now, if they they can win game four and they're up 3-1, I think Butler and Wade can win one of the next three games, preferably one of the next two to close the series out. And that's why I think it's it's more important for Chicago because if they don't get Rondo back, if they're down if they're tied two to two, it, it, it it's gonna go to Boston. Yeah, I mean Rondo, game two, eleven points, fourteen assists and nine rebounds and five steals. That that sounds like two thousand nine, two thousand ten version of Rondo. Yeah. Uh, so he's about the clock. Yeah, like I said at the beginning, absolutely. Like there was, there were some questions about whether he could do it, and you know that playoff guy still exists. So if he comes back, they move into the second round, and and in my opinion, and it, I think that they could they could cause some damage there. I mean, you can never. I think the odd thing is that eight seeds usually you know don't have this much star power on them, and and that was one of the things coming into the series. But I mean, with our predictions um, that we we went through. It looks like you and Shane were a lot more close to how long of a series this would be. I was not giving nearly enough credit to Chicago um, as I had as I had Boston sweeping. It looks like it's going to go at least six, maybe seven. 
Shane, I have, I think we both had six, right? Yeah, you both had the Celtics in six. Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, well, tomorrow is going to tell us a lot. Um, and if the Bulls can pull that off, it's it's going to be interesting. If they can get Rondo back and see how far they can go, because we know the Cavs have had their struggles this year with the Bulls. So if those two teams meet, uh, I can't, I'm not going to pick them to win, uh, but at least they can cause some trouble for the Cavs. Uh, and we'll move on to the Cavs, uh, playing the Pacers. Uh, game four is tomorrow, um, and they're up 3-0, but all have been pretty interesting games, a lot closer than I thought they would be. Me too. Uh, looks like we all had Cleveland sweeping. So far, so good, although like you said, the games have been very close. Game one, Indiana had the ball. Probably should have got it back to Paul George, but they, they missed a shot, and Cleveland played great defense getting getting anyone but Paul to shoot. I'm sorry, what are you saying? It was a decent shot. I mean, it was a good look by C.J. Miles. You can't ask for much more. No, you can't. I just – Go ahead. If it's me, and, and George said something after the game, although you would think that's something that's addressed before you even get in that situation, but – if, if it's me and it's my team, my franchise, I want the best player to take the shot. Even if it's a less, little bit less good of a shot, I want to ride or die with any with my best player and not, you know, C.J. Miles. But it, you're right. It was, a, it was a good look, and he easily could have knocked it down, and they could have won that game. Um, game two is close as well, but game three is the one I want to talk about. First, Cleveland's down a huge margin, and then LeBron does what only maybe LeBron can do. Just an unbelievably, arguably flawless second half. Had no help from Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving, who were both on the bench during the entire fourth quarter. Just another amazing game from from the King, who who sees the importance of winning these games in the first round and didn't want to didn't want to give one away. Yeah, forty one points, twelve assists, and thirteen rebounds by LeBron in that game. Uh, just monsters. Um, I mean, and like you're saying. Everybody's talking about LeBron and Paul George put up 36, 15 boards and nine assists. Um, he did shoot 10 for 28, though, so uh, not great there. But, I mean, these guys are playing minutes. They both played 45 minutes in that game. Well, the narrative always you know, is in favor of the team that wins, and maybe rightfully so, maybe not. George definitely deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in this series. Uh, I know he talked a little bit in an interview about how he's tired of losing to LeBron James and at this point, I almost feel sorry for him, um, you know, not in real-life context, but just in the context of basketball. It's it's tough. He's such a great player, and they had a good run there where they were, you know, arguably one of the best teams in the league. I think they were in the conference finals a couple years in a row, and George has just never been able to beat LeBron, and it, it's definitely not going to happen this year either. I'm starting to feel sorry for him, though. Yeah, he's a very good player, um, just... <laughs> in the wrong era, I'll put it that, in the wrong conference to uh, having to play LeBron all the time. Uh, I mean, just a tough matchup for him playing the best player in the world at his position. Yeah, and the other thing too is it's not like George is continually not making the NBA Finals and it's different teams every year and then it's sort of a, you know, what's wrong with the Pacers, what's wrong with him? I mean, it's LeBron, whether he's on the Heat or whether he's on Cleveland, it's been LeBron every single year. So it's no fault to anybody else in the East. Like you said, it's just an unfortunate, uh, you know, it's unfortunate the timing of his of his career. He's still pretty young, so maybe he can get, you know, get some in the later stages. Well, well that remains to be seen. But he's definitely going to need some help. And I don't know why I was randomly thinking about this the other day. But the, the Sixers have basically sucked since LeBron got in the league. 
And of course, I would want them to be good, but at least they haven't wasted any good years <laughs> having to play against LeBron. That's uh, an interesting perspective. I actually have to agree with you. Uh, it's a weird thing to say, but yeah, it, it is It is true. I mean, we could have had a couple stars or a couple years where we were, you know, kind of like what the Pacers have gone through, the Hawks, although the Hawks haven't had too much superstar power. Um, the Bulls. Yeah, the Bulls had a couple years also. So I agree with you. Sometimes it, it isn't so bad. And we had a couple fun years. Iguodala let us, after granted, after Rose and, and Noah went down, we, we did have a playoff round win. So there, there's been some fun times. And they, they took the Celtics to seven games after that series, too. That's right. And I think the Celtics were up 3-2 on the, on the Heat in, in the next round. Is that true? I can't remember. Okay. I, I do remember it went seven games, though, that okay. series. But uh, every, because Easter just passed last weekend, and uh, I do remember uh, that Lou Williams buzzer beater to beat the Heat. <laughs> they lost the series 4-1, to one, but at least they got the game from the game. Uh, let's move on to the Raptors and Bucks. Uh, the game is going on right now. Um, really, really interesting. Um, it is well documented, the struggles of DeRozan and Lowry in the playoffs, and they are continuing to struggle. At this point, I'd be shocked if Toronto won. And I know it's a 2-1 series lead for Milwaukee. I know that Toronto is the three seed. And I know that if Lowry and DeRozan play really well, it's going to be tough for the Bucks to win. But I just looking over the, the past three games, you look at the first game, Milwaukee you know, pretty much controlled that game, ends up winning by 16 in Toronto's, on Toronto's court. The bounce-back game is something you need to look at. Toronto should win that game if, if if Lowry and DeRozan are on point and this team really is what they're supposed to be. They should have blown Milwaukee out in the second game as a as a this is our home court, you know, this is our response to you. They they only end up winning the game by six. And then they go to Milwaukee in a in a big game three where the where the series kind of swings because it's tied one to one, and they get just blown out again. I just Honestly, watching, I know Lowry and, and DeRozan have been playing bad. But to me, even if they play well, Milwaukee just looks like the better team right now. Yeah, and they just don't have a response for uh, Milwaukee. And after the Kumpo, uh, it's just it's weird to see that a team that has so much talent just can't figure it out. And watching the game earlier, uh, just the first quarter, it, it just didn't look like uh, they care. And, and they need this game. They cannot go down 3-1. to one. Um, just because the way they've been looking, they can't win three straight games. The other thing I want to talk about here is a lot of credit needs to go to Jason Kidd. I'm not sure if we mentioned him when we were talking about Coach of the Year candidates, and maybe he doesn't totally deserve that, but what he's done so far in the postseason has been unbelievable. I believe they've started two rookies in almost every single game in this series, including your boy, Thon Maker. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, you were pretty high on him. I was um, high on Ogden, too. I really liked that second-round pick. Yeah, the, the Bucks look like the core they have. It's all pretty young guys. Middle, Middleton's a little bit older. I mean, he's almost like the vet now, and he's not even that old. Giannis is still young. This team looks like they're set up not only for this year to win maybe a series and, and make the second round interesting, but but it, it looks like going forward they're going to be, just from a sixer standpoint, this will be the team I think we'll be chasing. Yeah, Middleton's 25, so he's the vet on the starting lineup. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's crazy. That's a pretty young team. Um, yeah, and like, like we talked about last podcast, uh, Jabari and Middleton didn't even get to play together this year just because of injuries uh, and the timing of their injuries. So I agree it's going to be interesting. I think 
uh, if we're talking about the future and the Sixers uh, competing against teams, I think the Celtics and all those draft picks is another team uh, that's going to be up there with, uh, with the Sixers and, and the Bucs in the East. See, the difference right now, I think, between the Bucs and the Celtics is it looks like the Bucs have a superstar going forward, whereas the Celtics are still looking for that person. But as you mentioned, the Celtics have a lot of really good draft picks that you know are going to help them um, going forward. So maybe they can find that superstar and take that next step. But yeah, I, I agree. I think between the Celtics and Bucs um, and eventually the Sixers, that those will be the new three teams in the East, I think, going forward that, that everyone will be looking up at. I think Toronto still wins this series, but it sounds like you're switching your pick to the Bucks. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that the Bucks are going to take it. The, the Raptors have just—it's not even about that they've looked bad. I just, just looking at it overall, the Bucks just look like the better team right now, and I don't see that changing. Um, it looks like we all had Toronto. I had Toronto in six. So did Shane, and you had Toronto in five, which could still happen. Yes, oh. oh, I guess it couldn't. It has to be at least six now. When you guys can be right in six, but uh, definitely not five. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting series because um, it, it's it's been both uh, teams play, uh, Toronto playing poorly and Milwaukee. It's not like they're just playing average and beating them, beating them to playing significantly better than they were in the regular season. Absolutely, they look like a team that that is here not just here to be here, but here to at least make some noise. I don't know what's in their heads, but they they definitely came to play. And like you said, Toronto's looked flat in a couple games, almost like. They don't care, and it's strange. I mean, it's playoff time, and like you mentioned, not only that, but they're down 2-1. to one, So they'll definitely be the hungrier team going forward, especially after being beat up in, in, a, in, in Game 3. So this is a big game to see how they respond. Obviously, I think we both agree it's a must-win for, for Toronto. Yeah, and uh, before we move on, the random fact of the day, uh, Chris Middleton's real first name is James. So there you go. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, we'll move on to, which I, I think the team that has been the most impressive in the East, uh, they've only played two games, but the Washington Wizards um, are up 2-0 against the Atlanta Hawks. John Wall and Bradley Beal are finally looking like what people thought their potential might be. They're an unbelievable one-two punch so far in this series, and as long as they play at somewhere near this level, I think that this series will be over pretty quickly, maybe five or maybe six games. Um, a lot of people, I think I just heard Charles Barkley before the start of the Toronto-Milwaukee uh, game going on right now, actually say that he thinks Wall and, and Beal might be the second-best backcourt to uh, Golden State. <clears throat> I don't know if, if that's completely true, but the way they're playing right now, it, it's hard to disagree. Yeah, um, it, it's hard to disagree, but I, I did watch CJ and Dame in Game 1 against the, the Warriors, and it's uh, a good... Uh, a good point for them too, but I mean the Wizards duo is playing great. Um, I mean the other guys are just. I mean Morris played amazing in Game One. Um, I think he, he scored. He got fouled at a three at the buzzer at the end of the second quarter, and then I think he scored like nine straight points coming in the third. It was just an amazing game for him. Uh, those are the guys. Him and Porter uh, are the X factor for them. I mean because I mean obviously Ball, well, Wall and Beal have to play great, but uh, those two guys are the key for them going deep into the playoffs i agree and props to you you had washington in the sweep um obviously it's it's only 2-0 but it looks good so far shane and i were also pretty confident in washington we both had them winning in five 
I hate to say this, and I could be completely wrong, but I, I think a big part of what's wrong with Atlanta right now is, is the play of Dwight Howard. And I really, you know how much I loathe talking about Dwight Howard. But he, if he doesn't step up, they're going, they're definitely going to get swept. He has to be more of a factor. Um, I don't, I think he was on the bench maybe the entire fourth quarter in the last game because of how poorly he was playing. Uh, like Bodenhoser has said, and this is a problem that's been in his career. He needs to set better screens, and then he needs to be rolling towards the basket uh, really quickly so they can they can really use that screen and roll action with him. He's got to get rebounds. He's he's got to be a force on the defensive end. I know he's a little bit older now, but if Atlanta's gonna has any chance of coming back in this series, Dwight Howard. I'm not saying he's the only key, but if he plays like this, they're going to get swept. Well, he has to be better than Gortat. I mean, that's just a given. I mean, if Gortat wins that matchup, they have no chance. Uh, I mean, because obviously Wall and Beal are, are better than their two guards, whoever they put. Um, Hardaway and Schroeder are their starters. And then, I mean, Millsap is better than Morris, but I love that matchup between those two. Um, and, I mean, he played, or Howard played 20 minutes uh, in game two. Um, and only had six points and seven rebounds. Um, he's got to play more than that. Um, probably closer to 35 minutes if they want to win, and he has to play, like you said, better. It's not Bodenholzer. You know, Bodenholzer made the, the choice to take Howard out because of how poorly Howard's been playing, and they couldn't afford to have him on the floor. But like you said, he's got to be playing 30, 35 minutes, and the only way he's going to do that is by being more effective. But I, I think we both agree, no matter even if, if Howard steps it up, the play of Wall and Beal is... is they're going to carry forward to the next round, and it depends on who they play. But it could be, I think, an interesting series either way. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the one bright side for Atlanta is uh, that they're going back to Atlanta, playing Game Three today. Uh, Washington was a very good home team, uh, so maybe they can get their two games on their home court and uh, even it up. But I'm going to stick with my Wizard sweep, uh, just by the way they've looked. The one thing, too, is if you're Atlanta, you can say, you know, we're down 2-0. But if I'm looking at the final scores, I'm saying we lost by 7, we lost by 8 out on the road, and Howard hasn't played well. So I'm thinking to myself, we're going home, Howard plays a little bit better, we can get these two home games, and then we can go from there. So I wouldn't say they're totally dead and buried, but I'm pretty, I'm still pretty confident in Washington. All right, let's move about West. Uh, Warriors and Blazers, uh, besides that game one, uh, I don't think this is going to be a very competitive. They won game two, 110 to 81. They still won game one by 12 points. And I think McCollum and Lillard combined for like 75 points or something. That's the game you have to look at because Lillard, and, and I'm talking about the first game, and McCollum go for, like you said, 80 plus, I think. Um, and they still end up losing by double digits. That's like the best possible game your best two players can have. And you still kind of get blown out. Uh, Durant, I think, was out of the last game, and they still won by 30 points. Uh, so going back to Portland, game three, I look, I, I'm going to say it's close. I, I'm going to say it's going to be the closest game in this series, but I'm still sticking with the sweep. I think all four of us had the sweep, and I think that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, in, in our preview, I said Portland could steal a game if those two go off. And Lill, or, yeah, Lillard had... 34 points, 12 for 26, and then McCollum had 41 points on 16 for 28, um, and they still lose by double digits. So, I mean, I can't see them winning the game. The problem with the prediction is it, it wasn't really wrong because they did come close. I think it just happened in the wrong city. I think if they go off in either game three or game four, anywhere similar to that, 
I think they could possibly win a game. But Golden State does look really strong both with and without Durant. They're just it's just too much firepower. The Blazers don't have enough of a supporting cast after those first two guys to to do much of anything. It's just it's just the sheer amount of, of scoring. They just don't have it. Also, I mean, in that game, nine total points from your bench. Um, they played five players on their bench, and Napier had three points. Crab, who played 22 minutes and got a huge contract in the offseason, three points, and Pat Connington had three points. I mean, you're not going to win a playoff game with nine points from your bench. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's what I'm talking about. It's just... After the first two guys, the first two guys, listen, McCollum and, and Dame, they're really good players. I don't think anyone really disputes that. Even though you, you're not so high on Dame, I don't think you dispute that he's a great player. And oh, he's a great scorer, too. I mean, talking about pure scoring, yeah, he's, he's up there with one of the, the best point guards in the league. So, but after that, like I said, it's just, there's just not that much there. And I think, first of all, Golden State, when they turn the defense on, are tough. And then on top of that, Golden State's just going to pour in the baskets. And I think that that's kind of what happened in game one. Portland has an, an offensive explosion from two players, and then you end up with 109 points. But the problem is Golden State you know, dumps in a couple extra threes and they end up with 121. Portland's not going to score 120 points, so that's really you know, what it comes down to. It's just too much firepower that Golden State has. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we both think it's still going to be sweet, so let's move on from that before we, we talk too much about it. Uh, Spurs-Grizzlies, uh, game two was interesting because we had the, the, Fizz, the Fizdale uh, yelling at the end and take that for data. Um, and then, I, I mean, I thought there was no no way they would lose game three after that. and uh, They did win, so now they're down 2-1. So I, I actually missed your prediction. I, I had San Antonio in four, and I think Shane had San Antonio in five. What was your prediction for the series? Um, I can't remember, but I would assume it was five, as far as in five. Yeah, so it looks like you guys were right uh, on that front. You know, it was funny because after I watched that Take That for Data press conference, I thought to myself, just like you did, there's no way – Memphis loses game three. It doesn't matter what the Spurs do. And Popovich seemed to almost give up halfway. I was able to think it was about halfway through the third quarter and just said, all right, screw it, and took all those starters out um, and, and played them limited or not at all from, from then in. The, the first two games really, I thought, showed what, what happened between these two teams in the last series. And I thought it was going to go the rest of the way. But it was just kind of the way that it played out with the foul situation and then the press conference after and then rumors about how the Grizzlies players were possibly chipping in to play Coach Fisdale's uh, fines. That that whole um, – what? Sorry? Well, the players chipped in all $30,000 to pay for his fine. Okay, I didn't follow. I didn't know if they actually did that. That That's incredible. And that's the kind of thing that will buy you a win against the Spurs. I'll take the Spurs minus 15 tonight at 8 o'clock, um, and then I'll take him closing it out in Game 5. Yeah, and I, I it completely uh, – I, I didn't think about it on our last podcast when you said they, they beat the Grizzlies by an average of 22 points last year in the series, but I completely forgot that – I mean, Conley and Gasol were out. And they weren't in that series. They were playing with a bunch of backup players, which, I mean, they're basically playing with now um, – I mean, they're starting Selden, and they just can't figure out the starting lineup to, to place around those guys. 
Yeah, I would say Conley's as good as he was last year. Gasol and, and obviously Randolph's now coming off the bench. Although with the limited minutes, I think it's that, that was smart with Randolph being a little bit older. I think it keeps him just as effective um, as it, versus him playing 35-plus still at this age. But, um, yeah, either way, I just I don't see this being close the rest of the way out. I think they bought a game against a team that's far superior to them. Um, and again, we talked about this team a lot with, with blowing them up. And I think, again, this is something they really need to consider. It's a shame they had a couple – they never really had that deep of a run. I think they may have made the conference finals once, right? Uh, they did when, uh, if you remember the year, uh, Westbrook got hurt when they were the one seed. Um, they beat them in four or five – I think they beat them in five games. And then I think they got swept by the Spurs in the conference finals. Exactly. They ended up getting swept by the Spurs. And so – you know, they, that's been their best run. It's a shame because I really like this group. I love their attitude. They're usually a pretty defensive-minded team, and they just have nobody that's, you, you know, that's um, – I'm, I'm missing the word, but that's flashy. That's what I mean to say, um, and, and stuff like that. They're kind of very simple. They remind me of the Spurs a little bit, uh, kind of a poor man's version of them, and it's a shame that they never had a real run at it. I got, I got a question for you about the Spurs. Um if this was their last winning season, right? Let's let's just assume Popovich is an awful coach after this. How many years of not making the playoffs would the Spurs have before firing Popovich? That's a great question. I, I think, I mean, honestly, he deserved, like, a life. Like, they, they just let him coach as long as he wants. But I, I think five years of missing the playoffs, I think they would fire him. Five years was the first thought that popped into my head. I don't think that – I'm definitely confident that four wouldn't be enough. It might take might take seven, but I doubt it. I think five years is a really long time to not make the playoffs and, and to lose confidence in someone. And I think, unfortunately, age starts to factor in there. Popovich is a little bit older. And so what, what teams start to think of is maybe they've, they've lost their touch or they've, they're getting too far in age away from the players or the game has passed them, kind of like what's, what's already happened with Phil Jackson – but um, I don't see that really happening with with uh, with the, yeah. with Pop. He's just so great. Have you seen that uh, that meme of him running down the hallway? I have not. No. Uh, it's pretty funny. You should check it out. Anyone that that uh, you can find it like pretty much anywhere on social media. But um, I don't know why he was randomly running and smiling down the hallway. You never know with that guy. Yeah, and let me be clear that this this situation that he loses five seasons is not, never going to happen, but I, I just wanted to pose the question. Um, let's move on to the 3-6 series, Houston Rockets and the Thunder. Uh, the last two games have been competitive. Uh, they both split those, and then the Rockets won pretty handily in game one, so they're up 2-1. to one. So I had Oklahoma City in six, and you and Shane had Houston in six. I feel horribly about my pick. I'm going to stick with it, but Houston looks like the superior team. Now, I know that Game 2 and Game 3 are pretty close. It's just that what happened in both those games is that what Russell Westbrook, they were, they were okay, they were a little bit different. Game 2 was Russell Westbrook taking over scoring pretty much every aspect. I think after the game, he could barely even walk. I mean, he had put 150% of himself out on the floor, and Houston's still able to kind of without having to get all excited and riled up. They just smoothly make their way back into the game and, and win. And then again in Game 3, Oklahoma City does build a decent lead. Russell Westbrook was doing a little bit of less scoring, especially in the first half. 
I didn't have a lot of points until the last couple of minutes and then into the second half. And then Houston, again, was able to stay calm and just kind of stay with it and then almost come all the way back. So I'm confident that if, if Russell plays this well, and I think he can maintain this pace, at least through one series, going forward as another question. But I think he can keep him close. Now, can they eke it out if, if, if they do keep it close? I'm not sure. Houston, to me... So far, it seems like the much better team, but the the final scores haven't shown that. Yeah, I mean, Harden had seven turnovers last game. I, I mean, they had his chance to win even with that. Um, I question the last shot he took. I mean, you're down by two points, and, I mean, it's a typical James Harden step-back three, but I, I just don't like it. I think he should have drove to the hole. Um, but they lost by two. And if OKC can grab that uh, game four at home, that would be huge for them. Um, but I, I think all of us are right that it's going to be a six or seven game series. Yeah, I think everyone's pretty confident about that. This is probably a must win for OKC. It's pretty pretty easy to say that in a lot of series where it's two to one. It's hard to go down to three one and come back. So that's kind of why you say it's a must win. But also, I think Houston's a better team and, and has home home court obviously in the last three games of the series. But um, yeah, well, eating. Houston three straight times is tough because you know one of those games they're going to go off from three. Exactly, and and just to your point about the last shot in game three, it isn't it is a shot that Harden takes a lot. Like you said, it's typical. It's a shot that he easily could have knocked down. But I agree with you in that situation. The guy is really good at driving the basketball. He could have even pulled up for a jumper, got a better shot. But also he's he leads the league in 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 drawing fouls, taking foul shot attempts, and making free throws. You gotta do what you do best. He does shooting the three well. He does pull up jumpers well. But what does he do best? He he gets fouled a lot of times going to the basket, getting an even closer shot, maybe even get an and one out of that. I agree with you. I think that you can do something that you do well, which he did, or you can do something that you you do great, or what the thing is that you do best. And I think we both agree that's the thing he should try to do. Well, and he's he's not even great at threes like we talked about last time. He's this throughout the season. He's about equivalent to Russell Westbrook at threes and Westbrook's not known I think I think it was right around 30 34 percent I forget though so I mean not great and I mean obviously we're talking about Paul George not getting the ball at the end of the game you want the ball in James Harden's hand um, but not taking that kind of shot right yeah I think I agree with that and he get he gets to the line 11 times per game uh, so it's a, it's a lot yeah, I mean, he's comfortable up there. Like I said, not only does he lead the league in attempts, other guys have done that, Shaquille O'Neal, for example, but he also led the league in makes. So he's he, he might not be shooting 95%, but he is making a good enough percentage of the attempts that he takes. So, you know, he's comfortable up there. He's up there all the time. I think that was the play. I also watched Greg Popovich uh, running down the hall and <laughs> tried to hold it in when you were talking because it's so funny. <laughs> Uh, let's move to uh, arguably the most interesting uh, series right now with all the injuries they've had. And uh, Gobert gets injured seven seconds into game one, and now Blake Griffin uh, is officially out for the rest of the playoffs for the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers won last night, though, so they're up 2-1 to one against the Jazz. Your boy Chris Paul, you always talk about him. He He's doing a great job. He's He's been great in the playoffs so far. He usually is pretty great in the playoffs. This is another guy I'm starting to kind of feel bad for. He's never been on a truly great team 
this Clippers team has been on the last couple of years has been pretty good, but it seems like every year somebody gets injured in the playoffs, and that's really becoming the overall storyline of this Clippers team, and it's really unfortunate. Um, I didn't have confidence them to go that far this year. I know that you thought they might, but at this point with Blake Griffin out, I don't see them winning the series. And I'm going to be honest, I was I was thinking I was starting to doubt my Utah pick after seeing how well the Clippers played in Utah game three because after the first two games I thought Utah won game one played pretty well game two they, they might have a chance to get both at home but the Clippers really showed up when it mattered in game three especially Chris Paul but now that Blake's gone I'm pretty confident again in my Utah pick well I mean you feel bad for Chris Paul and Paul George so how about Chris Paul leaves this year and ends his contract early and then goes to Indiana and plays with them. Uh, there's a good solution for both of them. It's an interesting one. It's better than, than George trying to go to L.A., although those four could be really, really interesting in the Western Conference. It's just that the West seems to be a little bit tougher to get through than the Eastern Conference. But then again, at the end of the day, if you're in the East, you got to play LeBron. So it, it would be something for those two guys to consider. Yeah, I mean, the West is always been, I mean, or at least for the last 15 years since LeBron's been in the league, a, a deeper, uh, better conference overall. And I question sometimes whether that is because of LeBron, if teams and players kind of want to go towards the West to try to avoid them, or, or if it's just, I mean, the teams and the organizations themselves. It's a good question. I'm, I don't think I really know the answer to that. It doesn't appear, although you question maybe the, the decision by LaMarcus Aldridge, he ends up staying in the West instead of going to who knows um, what team in the East. I don't even know if he considered any. And then you look at Kevin Durant, there were rumors I, was, I thought he was going to go home to Washington. Maybe he could have went to another Eastern Conference team. He decides to stay out West. Now, it was a pretty cowardly move because he went to the Warriors, but that being aside, he did stay in the Western Conference. So those are two big free agents that you can look at to kind of point to that. But I don't know. I, maybe maybe the other organizations are great. It's hard to say. The Clippers historically have been a pretty bad organization, although they're under own, new ownership now. Um, but they did make this transition to become a better team before that happened. So I'm, I'm not sure what, what the, the real difference is. Yeah, I mean, Durant's – I would say Durant considered Boston way more than Washington. But, I mean mm-hmm. – uh, Definitely had his options in the East, and he decided to, to stay out West. Um, but, I mean, I really don't know who's going to win this series now. Um, I, I, I'm i going to stick with the Clippers just because they still have the best player, and they have the 2-1 lead. If the Jazz were up 2-1, I'd probably pick them right now. Um, but I think this is going to come down to a Game 7 in L.A. and Chris Paul making a big play. Yeah, if it comes down to Game 7, it's going to be tough for the Jazz to win on the road, obviously. It's going to take heroicism from Chris Paul to do this. The thing is, like you said, Chris Paul is the best player in this series. Blake Griffin, arguably the second best player in this series. So that's kind of what gave the Clippers the advantage. The Jazz been playing good basketball. So, and again, with, with Griffin missing, I'm going to stick with Utah. But it's kind of it's kind of cheating a little bit now because Griffin's out. But uh, kudos to both you guys if the Clippers do end up winning, even with Griffin out. Do you remember how many you picked the Clippers to win in, by the way? I think I said seven okay. um, originally. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know anything about Gobert's injury. Um, they, it was I think it was just like uh, – it, it wasn't like a hard uh, impact injury. So it, it could be something 
Uh, it could be something major or minor, but they, they just really haven't given, given us a lot of information about it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a sketchy situation. reminds me of the Sixers organization, but in a playoff scenario situation, it's a little bit even more intriguing. Um, if he can come back, that's obviously going to help Utah's case in this series. Either way, I don't see either one of these teams doing much damage. The Clippers, no disrespect to them, obviously without Blake Griffin playing against the Warriors is is, is not going to work out well. And the Jazz are a nice team, but that won't be fun for them either. Um, and the other thing is, if it does come down to Game 7 and it comes down to the final possessions, I, I don't want you to – I know Chris Paul can be clutch, but I don't want you to count out ISO Joe. ISO Joe in Game 1, ISO Joe showed up too with the buzzer beater. Absolutely. Um, and then that guy has hit buzzer beaters for the last 10 years – uh, I mean, I kind of forgot Joe Johnson. I think when we did our season preview, I forgot that he was on the Jazz just because uh, I, I just thought of him as that guy who was getting paid the most in the NBA playing for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, he's had a really interesting career. Uh, played for, uh, I think, four or five different teams now and got that massive deal like you just mentioned. He's never really been a superstar. He's been an all-star a couple of times. Um, he, he's been a great player. I'm surprised that he's still, you know, a pretty efficient player. I think he's had a pretty lengthy career at this point, so good for him. All right, well, we kept this pretty short. Uh, good job. Um, next Sunday will be Game 7 of the Jazz and the Clippers, so uh, maybe we'll be previewing <laughs> that uh, next Sunday when we, when we check back in. But uh, thanks for listening. This is the Pick and Roll Podcast.